CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. Hello, everybody. Ben Jarofsky here. Thank you very much for downloading hour number two of Friday's Ben Jarofsky Show. Now, let me tell you about hour number one of Friday's Ben Jarofsky Show. Man, we take the deep dive. Ethics reform with uh, Governor Pritzker. Do not use the word ethics or reform in anything having to do with Illinois politics. That's sort of the theme. Hillary and Howard. What's that all about? Hillary Clinton was on the Howard Stern Show. We talk about uh, Hillary's ongoing, what is it, D? Her attitude about Bernie Sanders. Come on. Hillary, show some love for Bernie. A clarification on a reefer policy. Lori goes to Iowa. So we sort of investigate Lori's interviewing skills because she's going to be interviewing Mayor Pete, Dennis's favorite candidate. And then finally, uh, Ramana Hussein comes in. It's another Ramana Hussein, a run, Ramana rundown every Friday. And boy, we take part Eddie Gate. So plenty of good talk. It's hour number one of Friday's Ben Jarofsky show. Go download it, people. How did you go from sharing stories over the years to deciding to write a book? Good question, Mayor. Good question. Hour number two of your Ben Jarofsky show for Friday, December 6th, is just moments away. But before we get into hour number two, we need to thank the following unions for jumping on board and sponsoring this program. First up, it's the International Association of Machinists and Aerospace Workers, Local 126 and District 8, the International Brotherhood of Electrical Workers, Local 9, the International Union of Operating Engineers, Local 150, and of course, today's Ben Jarofsky Show is brought to you in part by our good friends at the Chicago Federation of Labor. Hour number two, let's go. Friday, December 6th, and live from the Chicago Sun-Times, Chicago Reader Studio on Racine Avenue, this is the Ben Jarofsky Show. In this hour of the program, our neighborhood Chicago preservationist Andrew Schneider returns, and it's all things Democratic and Illinois politics with Illinois political know-it-all, Jacob Kaplan. Now your host, yes, also a Chicago political know-it-all. Chicago Reader columnist Ben Jarofsky. Jacob Kaplan will be in the studio. Andrew Schneider is in the studio. Uh, fans of the political know-it-alls, don't be too disappointed. Young Daniel Pogoshelsky will not be in the studio. Uh, he's in Paris. Uh, did not know that. Young Daniel is really uh, a globetrotter, but uh, I'd already booked Jacob. Jacob's come on. We're going to talk all things politics. Andrew Schneider will be here talking all things preservation and politics. We're going to force him here uh, to stay when Jacob's here. We'll talk some political stuff. Andrew's got a lot to say about everything. Uh, and so he he's not afraid to take the deep dive, D. All right? Okay. Good. You can learn from Andrew Schneider. Uh, before we bring... Oh, you saying I'm afraid to take the deep dive? No. <laughs> did, did I say that? Uh, so what's the update, Jack? 
have for me, young man? I love swimming. Okay. Uh, we, we may have a City Club Gate update. I'm, uh, waiting for, I'm waiting for the details to develop, waiting for it to come up on SunTimes. Hold on. Let me get my certificate. Yeah, get your certificate this? out. We, or I believe we're going to have a City Club Gate update. But in the meantime, mm-hmm. Ben, someone reached out to us on the Ben Jaromsky Show Facebook page. Okay. And I had a feeling this was going to happen after yesterday's show. I had a feeling. Okay. All right. Please stop singing. Okay. Ricky. Ricky reached out on the Ben Jaromsky Show Facebook page. Ricky, what's happening up top? My man. All right. Cool. Ricky says here, I watched Thursday's show, 12-5-2019. You had an alderman on, Nick Spazzato, a Trump supporter. I feel you should not have been so easy on this dude. His support, he said, was based on the economy. What BS, but he didn't say BS, all right? <laughs> what BS mm. with everything awful Trump has done to this country? I wish you would have been more forceful in your responses. Ben, I love your show and will contribute to be a fan, or I will continue to be a fan but of you. You can contribute as well. Oh, you can contribute as well, yeah. <laughs> I mean, me, can we can do both. Give me $5, Ricky. <laughs> Ricky raises some good points, but continue, yeah. Ben, I love your show and will continue to be a fan of you and Dr. D. Oh, that's, that was nice. Uh, let's see here. I was devastated when that station that shall not be named gave you the old heave-ho. <laughs> well, I can't remember the name of the station either. That's uh, WCPT820. Where's your guy's memory? Oh, I don't yeah, know. Yeah. They fired you. <laughs> well, I think he remembered. He just wouldn't name it. I just can't remember it. Oh. I just forgot it already. What do you have to say to Rick? Well, I have to say, uh, hey, I thought about this. Uh, should I bring a Trump supporter on the show? Andrew Schneider is sitting here thinking about this. I'm going to put the ball in his court and ask him what he thinks, but I'm going to tell you what I think. I've known... Uh, Nick for a long time. I knew him when he was a firefighter before he was an alderman. Uh, I respect where he came from as an independent running against the Democratic machine. Uh, Rick, for many years, you may not know this about me because you just probably, I don't know if you, I don't know if this is true, but a lot of people who've heard me as a radio personality don't realize I spent like 30 years writing, <laughs> battling the Democratic machine. Uh, so I have a lot of issues with the Democratic machine and the way they ran the, the city in the 90s and the O's. And I've always respected people like Nick Spazzato who had the guts to uh, take a stand. He ran against the Banks family on the northwest side of Chicago. A lot of guts on Nick Spazzato's uh, part. And uh, I met him about, we were talking about this 2007. Uh, when he was um, first getting started running uh, against the bank's uh, empire. And I respected the fact that he stood with the teachers in 2012. Uh, Nick has moved steadily to the right over the last few years. And a lot of people uh, who once supported him won't have anything to do with him anymore. Uh, Rick, I just not there. I feel as though he's there's a lot of good in Nick Spazzato. And um, so... Part of me wants to hear what he has to say about Donald Trump. Why does he support Donald Trump in the face of everything? Uh, I took issue with a lot of the things he said about Donald Trump. I, I guess if I, I did not address the issue about the economy, you're absolutely correct when you, when you said that. I go, oh, you're right. Because I remember when he said that, he goes, well, the stock market's doing well, as that's a sign of whether the economy is doing well. Uh, so, uh, you know, I look forward to having more conversations with Nick. I think about this all the time, Rick, because I always say, well, I, I, I'm from Biden to Bernie or even beyond that because I bring on Green Party people and a lot of my uh, centrist and uh, well any Democrats get upset when I bring Sam Holloway on for instance a Green Party uh, supporter who it just won't have anything to do with the Democrats because he thinks they're sellouts and uh, betrayers of all things progressive and um, I just think they have valuable things to uh, uh, to offer so when I hear Nick bring Nick Spazzano on let's see what Trump uh, supporter says 
Uh, and, uh, you know, is there something you can learn from Nick Spazzato that you could tailor your message to win him over? What would win a Nick Spazzato over? At this point, I don't think anything will win uh, a Nick Spazzato over, a Nick Spazzato Trump supporter over. They seem dead set uh, on supporting Trump, regardless of what Trump does. So sometimes it's important to hear that as well. Um, but yeah, some of the stuff, whenever you hear somebody supporting Donald Trump, it is annoying at the very least. It, is, it could be infuriating. So I understand. But you know, we don't bring them on that often. Trump was the last <laughs> time we had a Trump support. Nick was the last one we had. So um, anyway, thanks for writing in. Thanks for listening. But uh, I hear you. Uh, I remember when Nick said the thing about the economy, I w- was like going to jump in. But then for, we went on to another topic and we, we argued over that. So. so there you go, Ricky. Hopefully uh, that uh, answered your question there. And, hey, once again, contribute, huh? You yeah, contribute. <laughs> All right. What'd you contribute? Give me $5, Ricky. <laughs> All right, now our City Club Gate update. Oh, wait, sorry. Ben, briefly, and I mean briefly, just recap everybody on what uh, the City Club Gate is. Well, I'm going to ask Andrew Schneider, has he ever been to City uh, Club? But uh, no, no. All right, the City Club is an organization of uh, good citizens uh, from downtown Chicago. We get together, I don't know, once a month or every other week. All right, uh, we got every the City week. Club. Now and, the gate. Uh, uh, the gate part is that uh, the former head of the city club, uh, Jay Doherty, uh, uh, was is a lobbyist and uh, was representing a Commonwealth Edison and the city club. The feds came a knocking on the city club's Freaks door. Freaks me out every time. Don't do that. You're uh, scaring and, me. And uh, looking for, we don't know what they were looking for, but it was obviously in conjunction with an investigation of Commonwealth Edison and Michael Joseph Madigan. And so, so I had a... A lot of fun making fun of the City Club, this pristine group of civic citizens who get together to discuss the issues of the day. And like I said, folks, never talk reform when it comes to Illinois and Chicago politics, because even the reformers were the subject of FBI investigators. So there you go. That's City Club Gate. Ben recently went to a, uh, a meeting at the City Club of Chicago, and he was given a certificate. That's yeah. awesome, right? Ben, could you read the uh, name of the person who signed that certificate? Jay Doherty. <laughs> Here's our update. Uh, Jay Doherty is out as head oh, of the City Club of Chicago. Oh, man, life is rough. Ben, I hope th- no one comes knocking on this door. Hold on. Please Uh-oh. stop. You're scaring me. It's Andrew Schneider did it, not that's, me. Hey, it's a, it, that's an eBay item right there. That's what I see. I, I was, you know what? I said this to Dennis. I go, this is a collector's item. I got Jay Sh- uh, Jordy's. But the problem is I had Danny Mahopoulos. Okay, you know, can I just share this with you, Andrew? You would know you're into preservation. Yes. Uh, 2,000 years ago, when I was a young man, I mean, I'm not even a young man, a kid, I collected baseball cards. All right? Okay, this is what we were doing in the 60s. I love collecting. Hundreds of baseball cards. I would dutifully buy baseball cards, open them up, eat the gum. And so I have a Mickey Mantle. Mickey Mantle is one of the greatest baseball players ever, millennials. Uh, baseball card from 1965. And I thought it would be a good idea in about 1968, when I was just sitting around my room, just idly wasting time, to autograph Mickey Mantle. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I to autograph so I autograph a Mickey Mantle baseball card and then years later I learned so you are you kidding me that thing is could be worth the con- if you hadn't defaced it I hadn't defaced it I defaced a Mickey Mantle so anyway it's hard you know what they say in the autograph business is that cold is gold so you've got you've got the first step here but you got to wait for Jay Doherty to shuffle off this mortal coil and then you're going to have something really valuable well right, here's the problem I did this is why the Mickey Mantle uh, anecdote is uh, relevant uh, I 
I had Danny Mahopoulos, uh, WBEZ, ace investigative reporter on the show, talking about uh, City Club Gate. He had done some of the initial stories that broke the stories, did a great job, as he always does. And so as a joke, I said, Dan, could you autograph my City Club sh- certificate? And so he... T- I defaced it. You know. I, again, you haven't learned. You've learned nothing. <laughs> I've learned nothing. Uh, so you've never been to the city? No, you know, I, uh, the only the only Chicago. I, I spend most of my time in the neighborhoods. I, I've I've sort of a conscientious objector to the downtown area. Apparently, I it just sort of fell into that. But the only the only club events I've ever attended down there at the, uh, once went to the Union League. They had Robert Ballard, the the oceanographer and the Navy vet. Uh, giving a speech about, and I was always fascinated by Robert Ballard and his career and the things he'd done. And so I begged my father-in-law, who was a you know board of trade guy, and he was a member of the it was the economic club. That was that was what that one was. And so we all went down there and and you know got into a fight with a parking lot attendant afterwards. It was a magical magical wow. evening. The only the kind of evening you can only have in Chicago's Loop. Uh, and so okay, so you've never been to the City Club. Uh, by the way, do you share? Uh, what is it, my cynicism or skepticism about anything re- re- remotely related to reform being connected to the city of Chicago? Oh, of course. I mean, the the the, the reform message, whatever it is, I, I remember we talked about Nick Blaze, good old Nick Blaze out yeah. in the suburbs, the, the late Nick Blaze, and he, um, somebody was talking to me about, uh, boy, gosh, it was, it was Joe Annunzio, right? So Frank Annunzio's nephew. He was the village attorney in Niles. And Frank he said, Annunzio, former congressman from the northwest side of Chicago. Yeah. Go ahead. And, and Joe Annunzio said, he said a bunch of hilarious things. He His career was all pretty much out in the suburbs, and, and he was very squishy on why he ended up in the suburbs and not in the city. But he said, um, you know, I always thought the worst thing I could do was ask my uncle, hey, can you get me a job as, you know, sort of assistant secretary for, for the state of Illinois in charge of toilet paper? You know, that, that was, he said, that's that just seemed like the, like a dead-end career move to me. So he went out to the suburbs, and uh, he said, in retrospect, uh, when when the problem with Niles, right? Nick Blaze was ushered in in 1961 as a reformer, right? He was going to reform the, you know, there was gambling in town and the, there was the, 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 the contractors were on the, the village board and they got all the contracts. And so he said, reform, reform, reform. And he said, the lesson of, of Nick Blaze was don't ever believe anyone. If the only thing that they say is reform. Yeah. I'm with Nick Blaze on that one. On that point, that one point, I, I always get very skeptical when anybody in Illinois uh, talks about reform. We, we were talking about this earlier in conjunction with uh, Governor Pritzker putting together a task force uh, that would be, would, there's something, I can't remember what the task force was about, about lobbyists or what have you, and it turns out one of the people he put on the task force was a lobbyist, so the person that had stepped down. So it's like, we have to do an investigation of the Blue Ribbon Commission investigation, it's so Chicago, so Illinois. Uh, by the way, Jacob Kaplan has showed up, God bless Jacob Kaplan, I love it when a guest comes early, uh, and uh, he's executive director of the Democratic Party, we're going to have a plenty of political conversation uh, with Jacob uh, in a little bit, but we're talking preservation issues. Jacob is also a preservationist geek, so he can join us in this topic uh, as well. So welcome back to the show, uh, Jacob Kaplan. And as I said Thanks earlier, uh, people who w- think of da- Jacob and young Daniel Pogoshelsky one more time, young Daniel is in Paris, I believe. Yeah, he had to jet off and leave us. Yeah, yeah. he had to jet off and leave typical. us. Right. He wasn't in Poland last time? Last time I tried yeah. to reach him, he was in Poland. Yeah, so. he's, he's gotten, it could be a real big shot. All right. Uh, 
Andrew, let's talk a little preservation issues. Number one topic on the agenda, the Thompson Center. I think we, we may have talked about this the last you know, time we were here. You know, we've only sort of alluded a couple times to the preservation battle over the Thompson Center. I want to give a, while we're on the phone, or while I'm here talking about it, shout out to uh, three individuals that are doing really amazing work around that. That's uh, Elizabeth Blashus, uh, who's actually also a member of Logan Square Preservation's board. Uh, A.J. Latrace, who's a, a former journalist or current journalist. Uh, and then Jonathan Solomon, who's a preservationist, used to be at SAIC. They created the James R. Thompson Historical Society. And so I just took their tour yesterday. Uh, it's a free tour. It takes about an hour. And they take you through all the publicly accessible, uh, publicly accessible spaces in the Thompson Center. And it's a great tour. Really a lot of fun. Talks about the civic and uh, the engagement history of the building. Talks about uh, the reason the building was built in the first place. The it, You talk about preservation. Talk about the Sherman Hotel and the buildings that were on that block that were demolished. Uh, and how, of course, they were demolished because they were blighted. And now, of course, the Thompson Center, it's the same exact narrative. The Thompson Center is blighted, too. Um, saving And and, and uh, they, they made a couple of really salient points. And again, great shout out. If you haven't followed their work, you got to follow the James R. Thompson Center Historical That's Society. But, That's Robert Mueller. <laughs> He's just weighing in. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but they, uh, they they commented, and, it, and it's wonderful. And it's, it's typical of how messaging is everything in, in politics and in buildings and in development. And they said, well, the, the, the Thompson Center costs $15 million a year. That's what the state pays into it. And boy, that sounds like a lot of money. But they don't also have an accompanying figure of, well, this is really what it costs to, to maintain a building. And any of us who own uh, a building, whether that's your modest Chicago two flat like I own, uh, or, or a six flat or a 10 flat or an office building understands that buildings take money. They, they eat money. You got to pay money to uh, to keep them up. And so what's what's the, the important figure in that would be is if the state decides to offload the Thompson Center, what are they going to pay in rent every single year to house. I mean, they, they say it's a, essentially a million square feet of office space. Mm-hmm. I mean, we, I know Chicago's uh, starting to see the end of their office space boom, but, you know, million square feet of office space in Chicago, that isn't free. All right, uh, so let's back up for a moment, the, uh, folks. This is a, an old-fashioned real estate fight story, uh, and many of the interests I'm presuming have not emerged and uh andrew i've done so many stories like this where there's the subterranean interest you don't know really who all the players are in the game are because we are talking about prime downtown real estate right there i want to say randolph and jacob randolph right right across the street just north of city hall and um how when when was it uh, when was the Thompson Center built? Uh, eighty three. Eighty three. Completed eighty five. Completed eighty five. Eighty five. Just like myself. <laughs> We're just like yourself. Equal in age. Year. Yes. Uh, and nobody's talking Jacob's about still t- growing. Yeah, right? him. More yes, Jacob know, right? <laughs> uh, And uh, so the move to demolish uh, the Thompson Center is one of these issues that just sort of emerged uh, in the last four or five years, and I'm always skeptical. Uh, Andrew, when uh, stories like this emerge, because I usually think there's some interests, like I said, that are not at the table. So the public is being told it's a waste of money. It's a white elephant. We should get rid of it. Uh, we could make more. Now, this property is probably true. I mean, it is take probably out. If you take land that is tax exempt and put it on the tax rolls, you will get as a, a city and as a county tax dollars, property tax dollars. So that's the one kernel of the story that's absolutely true. But is it in a TIF, Ben? Uh, is it in a... Wow. Uh, 
Damn. Uh, that is a great question. If it's in a TIF, the city will not get it for 23 yeah. years. Uh, I'm, I, I'm not sure if that block of land is in it. There used to be a TIF downtown, the Central uh, Loop TIF, and that expired. So I'm not certain that this land is in the LaSalle TIF. God, I know way too much it about could TIFs. Be. Yeah. The, I'd the, have to look at a map. I think the problem, the, when you talk about any sort of public asset, right? I mean, they, they, they always trot out well. I, I get this with churches, because we we, we, we're working to save churches in Logan Square. And we hear, oh, invariably, the argument is, oh, it should be back on the tax rolls. We This will finally be paying property tax. And, and nobody ever talks about... The, it, there's cost that it comes with. The reason the reason that something pays property taxes is because it's also consuming services. Now, yes, the churches consume services, but if you put ten students into a building, right? You, you push over something like a church and you build um, you build ten houses on the side of that church, and each one of those houses is a single kid. Well, that's I'm just back of the napkin math. That's seventy thousand dollars that CPS is going to spend if you put those kids in CPS, mm-hmm. uh, and that's an annual cost. Is is the is the property tax going to pay? for the cost of the services that's going to be consumed by those residences. But nobody ever nobody ever brings up the cost side of of these developments. They only bring up the revenue side as if that's the whole story. Well, I I, I just got to tell you, and you, this was one of my favorite themes of, of Lincoln Yards, the Lincoln Yards fight. Uh, absolutely to your point, nobody talked about the, the, the increased cost of creating a whole new community of people in an area that's largely undeveloped right now, vacant land or industrial, old industrial land, you're suddenly, you're going to build uh, a whole new community. You're going to have police, fire, teachers, etc. It's just going to be a public cost to that. And you're absolutely correct. Uh, and nobody talks about that. It's, oh, hey, the tax dollars that we're going to get. <laughs> it's gold. It's going to just flow right in. We get all the money. We're all going to dine out on this. The I think that actually the more stunning and terrible story when it comes to that sort of thing is in TIF is Lathrop Homes. Because Lathrop Homes was TIFed with, an, with a value of zero, which means that Lathrop Homes, unlike Lincoln Yards, at least Lincoln Yards is going to be paying something in tax to the general funds of the CPS and the city and others. Can I make... Yes. Uh, can I make a, just a brief correction? I hate to do this. Oh, that's I fine. know I'm Tiff Geek number oh, 101. Uh, a good chunk of Lincoln Yards, which is literally right across the street from the hideout bar, which I know so well because I go there every, once a month for First Tuesday, uh, is an old Chicago... The uh, Fleet and Facilities Fleet Management, Facility Management yeah. Center. So it paid zero, zero in property taxes. And when that TIF was created, that means that from here on out, all the money that the owner of that land, and I believe it's uh, Sterling Bay, will be paying to the TIF. So that's... Exhibit A of exactly what you were talking about. Well, precisely. About. We, and if you want to talk about that, which I think about a great deal, but I'm, I'm also a TIFF geek, so we got to be careful about going too far down the rabbit hole here. <laughs> Two TIFF <But>, geeks. <laughs> <laughs> but the, the, when you look at the fleet and facilities management, and we look at the fact that Lincoln Yards as a whole wasn't eligible, if, it, if it, a month had gone by, it would no longer be yes. eligible as blighted. Um, I, I haven't gotten a straight answer yet as to whether or not, when they're talking about lagging growth in property values, the way that they evaluate that is based on EAV. And so if they have the fleet and facilities management in that calculation that's going to drag down Absolutely. the average so I, I think that the question is whether it was ever eligible 
to be to be considered as blind. All right, here we went. Uh, we're now in <laughs> TIFF geekdom land. But folks, let me tell you something. One, uh, I, I talk about the TIFF scam in so many dimensions because it's a huge scam. But one of the scams is the way they draw a TIFF map. A TIFF map is intentionally drawn in order to maximize the amount of money that will flow into the TIFF bank account. And so what they'll do is the boundaries will exclude. So you could have a vacant land, a vacant lot across the street from a big office building. And and so the office building's presence undercuts uh, the notion that the area needs a subsidy because somehow or other that office building got built without the subsidy. But the, the TIF boundary will go around the office building because that lowers the amount of uh, the value of the land in the TIF. That means more money will pour into it. So you're absolutely correct. By the way, two, I don't believe anybody when they talk about reform and ethics in Illinois, don't believe anybody when they talk about blight and preservation. <laughs> no, it's it's a non that that is a non-issue. In blight, blight is is opportunity to a certain extent, right? You talk about an old that uh, you might consider a building old and dilapidated. That sounds like cheap to me. And what that generally has meant is, and particularly in Logan Square, storefronts are cheap. Logan Square's ground zero for so many great and creative independent restaurants and businesses, and not just restaurants, but uh, small businesses like Play, the toy store that's just a couple blocks down from my house, right? And they can afford to move into Logan Square because the rent is low, right? If, if it, class A office space, brand new construction office space is $65 a square foot per year, no, no independent business can afford that. So what do you get? You get doctors and dentists, you get AT&T, the great you know, and mighty AT and Starbucks, Starbucks, mm -hmm. uh, all the chains, and you know, all the wonderful, wonderful yeah. the touchstones of suburban American life. Yeah, uh, <laughs> changing the city's <laughs> landscape. All right, so let's get to, let's talk about, in your opinion, and uh, either one of you, before, what are the virtues? Before oh, we go, go I, I want to just mention one quick thing mm -hmm. about about blight. And you mentioned TIFF, right? And I, and I, I can't get this out to enough people. I keep trying to tell people this: Chicagoans and TIFF, it's almost like Stockholm syndrome. Right, because um, we 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 talk about TIF dollars as being uh, dollars that are available to be spent as they come in, but the fact and and that a place that has a TIF that has no money in it is somehow a problem, right? We we that TIF we don't have any money to spend on it because the property value it hasn't gone up. There's no increment. There's no tax dollars there. But but that in and of itself, on its face, is an indication that the TIF program is 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 a lie, because if. The TIF is supposed to only be created in places where, where nothing will happen but for the TIF. So if property values are rising, yeah. how on earth does it qualify? Now, now, then you look at another piece of property, another TIF district, someplace like, you know, in Englewood or whatever, and you say, hey, this TIF just hasn't created, the, the values are going down, they're not, or they're stagnating, they're not going up. That's evidence that the TIF is actually needed and that the municipality should invest money in that place. Instead, what we do is we go, oh, no, no, there's incremental growth in the property. And so now we have money to spend. It's yeah. like, but, 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 but then the, the TIF shouldn't exist in the first place. Yeah. It, it, it fails the very first test. And we all, we're all so, we've all been hit over the, over the head so many times with the TIF idea that we're all just like, oh, no, of course, right. Well, there's no money to spend. Yeah, uh, you got me going. We were here to talk <laughs> preservation. You, you were the one, Andrew. I'm sorry, I couldn't, I, I couldn't help it. No, it is, it is a scam on so many levels. And so when we get to the, the other 
word that no one should believe when they uh, hear, hear people talk about in terms of Illinois and Chicago is transparency. <laughs> and so it, if we're going to abide by the principle of transparency, then one of the first things we should be transparent about is a program that's intended largely to eradicate blight in the poorest communities, but is in fact uh, subsidizing develop in development in the rap- most rapidly gentrifying communities. So let's just be honest about the freaking program. That's right. All it's done is balkanize the city. It's done what generations of, of powerful in Chicago have wanted, which is find a way to keep tax dollars generated in wealthy communities in those communities and then to sort of look at the rest of us and go oh no Lincoln Yards it, they're going to create this tax revenue so we're they, we should keep it here they're, they're only getting the benefit of their own money as if the city as a whole isn't intended to be a, 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 a mechanism that delivers equity yes. across the entire place all right now you were the one who got us in service sure. I'm trying to go back to Thompson <laughs> let's Center. go back to Thompson uh, Center. what are the virtues of the Thompson Center let's, let's just put aside uh, the notion, the whole issue of how much money will, will remain raised uh, if we get rid of the Thompson Center and put it uh, to a developer, private developer, or a private landlord. Put that aside for the moment. What are the virtues from a landmark preservationist point of view that you would advocate to the larger public to convince them that this building is worth preserving? And either one of you can answer. I mean, I think it's one of the most iconic and uh, unique buildings of the 1980s of modern ar- of postmodern architecture. I think if you, you you see that building on the cover of so many architectural guidebooks of not just Chicago but world modern architecture of the late 20th century. I mean, it is one of the iconic buildings of its era, and I think it's a testament to its uniqueness that still to this day you see people walking into that atrium and just they're in awe of the space, whether they're tourists or they're locals or anybody. It's an incredible space. It's an amazing building, and uh, any building that even you know the average Joe off the street can walk into and, and see this is an incredible space. I think is worth preserving, and it's also you know it's it's a public building that anybody can walk into and see is the other important thing. This is owned by the public. It's owned by us. So I think the idea that it's just going to be demolished for a private uh, development or something like that, I don't know. I find it pretty distasteful. Yeah. I mean, even, you know, if you go through the the atrium level of the Thompson Center, you'll see signs that say things like no loitering, no this or that or the other. But in truth, people loiter like crazy. There's a food court in there, right? People, they can bring their own lunch. They can can just come in and gawk, right? They can come in and enjoy. They can come in and get a little sun uh, in in the cold months and be in a semi-climate controlled uh, sort of space. And I think that that's... The, the great virtue of the Thompson Center. It's, it's a public space. It's an indoor public space that everyone shares. That's that's a it, aside from its architectural uh, virtues that Jacob was extolling. It, it, and I mean, I think yeah, that those are the those are the thing. And, and look, not not only that, but all of the marvelous uh, public protests and, and acts of protest that have, the, the Thompson Center has been a backdrop for so many things. It, it's a really important space. Uh, and they, you know, uh, the, again, I'm going to shout out to the, the Thompson Center Historical Society folks, A.J. Latrice, Elizabeth Blasius, and Jonathan Solomon. They, 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 they ran a marvelous tour. And, and in the process of that, they said, look, you know, this this is a space where people have protested apartheid. They've they've protested. Uh, they, they showed up to the teachers union strike more recently here. This is this is a space that is a that is a shared public space that everyone can access. That is with with the one exception of the the, the elevators, which uh, post 9-11, they sort of roped off the immediate uh, area around the elevators. But other than that, it's it's. It's an important space for the history, the 20th century, late 20th century history of the city of Chicago, and we shouldn't do away with it. All right. Uh, 
my my memory and help me out here my memory is always faulty uh is that the the movement to sell the thompson center was particularly strong during the rounder years uh and so how strong is that movement right now well, I think it's never been stronger, right? The rounder, you know, floated it and it got no traction in part because uh, we could go back to Lincoln Yarns on this, but the value of the piece of property is, is a function not only of what, what's built there, but what may be built there. And so uh, we remember famously Rahm Emanuel was holding up. Oh, no, I'm never going to allow a super towel on this site. I'm never going to allow. And there was some horse trading going on. Right. And so now that we have a Democratic governor in J.B. Pritzker, we've got a you know Democratic uh, mayor in Lori Lightfoot. Um, everybody's sort of potentially on the same team. They all need one another for things. And, and we have a, a, an authorization from the state legislature to actually go ahead and sell the Thompson Center. The budget includes uh, funding coming out of a sale of the Thompson Center. So I think that, you know, the, the Thompson Center's never been more in jeopardy than it is right now. And uh, have we begun the public process of soliciting bids, that kind of thing? Uh, I think sort of, but there's the, the public process. It's not like in historic preservation, if you have a property that's listed on the National Register, which I don't believe the Thompson Center is, uh, there's a process called Section 106 where you have to go through impact, right? Historic impact and what's going to happen, what's going to be lost if this building is demolished, sold, changed. Um, there is a similar process because this is a, a public building, right? So there's there will be a lengthy process about evaluating proposals and ideas to sell the Thompson Center. So there's going to be plenty of public input. But as somebody who's participated in many, many, many public processes, I can tell you that half the time those are a dog and pony show. And so the decision's been made already. Uh, and they, it doesn't matter how many times members of the public, preservationists, uh, or, or just people that are fiscally concerned show up, uh, the, 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 the decision's been made. And, you know, the one thing I would love somebody to do, and, uh, you know, the great thing about the Thompson Center is you have all the state offices, for the most part, under, under one roof in Chicago. Yeah. And uh, the city, the, the state actually in recent years, partially because government has been so shrunk under the Rauner, you know, years when, 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 every, when funding for everything was impacted. But we've gotten rid of the leased office space in a lot of the downtown loop. So it's pretty much all in the Thompson Center now. All the state offices are there or in the Bolandic building across the street. Uh, the state claims they can move all of the state offices, I believe, into the Bolanic building if the Thompson Center is closed. But I, I just question how that's going to work. And if it's not true, and it might not be, if we have to start leasing space, has anybody done like a cost analysis of how much it's going to cost over the years compared to just rehabbing the Thompson Center and maintaining it properly? I haven't seen anybody do that sort of research. And I think that broadly speaking, I, I, ob I just object to any sort of sale of a public asset. Um, if, if there's one thing now, it, it, real estate goes up and down in value over, over you know, in, in, in fits and starts, but over the long haul, acquiring a building like the Thompson Center, whether through lease or buying it later because we decide we need it, it just gets more expensive over time. So we've got a public asset now, it's in the public sphere, there's no tax revenue flowing out of the Thompson Center into, that anybody's counting on. Why? And we need the office space. There's a demonstrated need for the space. Why on earth would we would we close it? What's what's the plan to, to Jacob's point? What's the plan to replace those that space elsewhere in the in the loop or else other or elsewhere? I, it, it just doesn't make any sense to, to to surrender a public asset for private development, especially when it, it, you know they throw they float figures three hundred million dollars. Again, the, the Thompson Center Historical Society folks done marvelous work, and they're looking at this going, that's a huge amount Wait, of money three hundred million. Uh, what they float? What's the three hundred million? That's the that's the, the the figure that's been tossed around that the Thompson Center could net two hundred and fifty to three hundred million dollars in a sale. But that's a huge amount of money. I mean, it's not, and, and, and A.J. Latrice was pointing this out, that's, a, that's on the scale of a mega development, $300 million, because then there's de demolition cost, and then you've, you, so, you, so now you're in, 
into it $315, $320 million, and what have you got for it? You've got something slightly larger than the, the hole that it was the, the spire. So right? wait, uh, when you, so just to make, I want to make clear what, you, what, I, what you're getting at. When you say it's a huge amount of money, do you think they're inflating the amount of money that they could... I think that yeah. that's an illusory figure, and I think that you know it's in the. My father-in-law used to say this. He'd go into he'd go into real estate openings and say, "How much you want for the house?" And they'd say eight hundred thousand. And he says, "Well, I'll give you two hundred And they say it's worth eight. And he goes, "Well, who who else is bid? Right now, it's worth two hundred thousand. Yeah. And the answer is, until somebody steps up and says, "Yeah, I'll pay three hundred million dollars for the Thompson Center," that's just a figure that somebody invented to make it look good, right? Selling the Thompson Center is good. We can get a lot of money, guys, but. I haven't seen that. Have you seen the giant check? So your concern is that the uh, the amount that's floated around has been uh, exaggerated, and it does not reflect, even if, if it is exaggerated, the amount of money it would cost to demolish the Thompson Center. You're assuming that if there's a sale, demolition costs would come out of the sale price. So in other words, it, if you sell the building, let's say we sell the Thompson Center, the state, to Dennis, uh, Dr. D over there for $300 million. You're assuming... Well, he bought Ballast Point last week. Yeah, so, so he's got a lot of money. Uh, and uh, Loaded. And uh, so let's say he buys it. So you're assuming that uh, Dennis would not be covering the demolition costs, that in fact that demolition costs would come out of the $300 million. Uh, I mean, the answer, sort of. The, the, the answer is that whatever price is paid for the Thompson Center is going to reflect what the developer has to service that plus whatever money goes into the construction of the new building. So the new building has to pay for, I mean, what did the, what did the Sears Tower sell for? That could be the Willis Tower. Wasn't that 175 million? Sounds about right. Is that what it was? So 175 million buys uh, this, the Willis Tower, unless, I, I mean, I could be mistaken on that figure, but that's, that is a similarly sized, it's a super tall building, it's on a full city block, and that's an existing building. Uh, so now they're saying that uh, this is a better location, right? It is the center of the city, you got all this transit hub under there, it's a very valuable site, but what they're saying is that whatever is built there ultimately is worth $300 million in acquisition, uh, plus whatever it costs to demolish, plus whatever it costs to build this new super tall. So, I mean, what are we looking at a billion dollar a billion dollar development i mean i that's a I, i'm just really really skeptical and i'm not you know i'm no i'm no genius but i'm really skeptical that that can that that kind of money is out there to to demolish the thompson center and i and i i really don't think that it's worth the idea of 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 funding i mean how much look if it's if it's 15 million dollars a year right uh that we're gonna have to spend to keep up that building isn't that what we're probably going to spend in, in rent and yeah. costs elsewhere? Like, why well, not simply keep the building? Yeah, no, I, 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 you're making some very compelling points. And again, my my uh, this, my skeptical assumption, uh, born from many years of covering these things, is that the decision to sell the Thompson Building, develop land, is not a dollar and cents decision. Uh, intended to protect taxpayers, the fiduciary interests of taxpayers. That's why I keep saying, whenever you get into a land fight in the city of Chicago, you have to look for the subterranean interests at play. I have no idea who they are. They've not emerged. Uh, It could just be... City Club? 
<laughs> you missed that part of the conversation, Jacob Kaplan. I have this valuable city club, uh, what is this, certificate, because they invited me. Apparently, nobody else would show up that month, so they invited nice. me. Hey, let's invite yeah. Ben. Let's get the commie in here, all right? So as part of it, have you ever been to the city club? I've been to, yeah, many events. Like. But have you ever been a speaker? Never been a speaker. All right, well, no. if you're a speaker. Smart man. Yeah, you get a certificate, <laughs> and they signed by Jay Doherty, nice. who just had to step down. That's going to uh, be a collector's item. Yeah. Well, yeah. except I, <laughs> my, in my foolishness, I had Dan Mahopoulos, who broke the story about City Gate, sign it. So uh, now it's, you know. Oh, not, it might be worth more now. Yeah, <laughs> that's true. Yeah. No other City Club certificate has Jay Doherty's name and Danny Mahopoulos. There you go. Uh, and that's Jacob Kaplan. And we're going to take a break. We come back. We're going to take a deep dive in all things politics. Andrew Schneider will stick around, too. He's got something to say about politics. Young Jacob will be talking politics when we return. The Ben Jarofsky Show is supported by Northwestern University's part-time master's program in literature and liberal studies. Students learn from dynamic and diverse faculty as they build advanced skills for critical analysis, writing, and research. Evening classes are held on Northwestern's Evanston and Chicago campuses. The spring quarter application deadline is January 15th. Learn more at sps.northwestern.edu slash masters. Read the Chicago Reader to get up to speed on what's what in Chicago. Culture, food, arts and entertainment, weekly concert listings, weekly event listings, the environment, travel. I can continue, but you get the point. And for all of you Chicago political junkies, raw weekly columns on real city politics from Maya Dukmasova and our very own Ben Jarofsky. The Chicago Reader, free to the public in newsstands throughout the city and online at chicagoreader.com. Read it now and be a more informed Chicagoan. Hey, that commercial break's done. Welcome back to the Ben Jarofsky Show, live from the Chicago Sun-Times. Kaplan in the studio, executive director of the uh, Cook County Democratic Party, Andrew Schneider. Uh, preservation is extraordinary. We're gonna, as I said, we're shifting gears. We're going to stop talking preservation and take the dive into politics. But uh, uh, I'm telling you right now, folks, I'm just getting started in this Thompson Center story. We'll probably bring some Thompson Center preservationist activists on to, in a little while, to, uh, in a couple of weeks, to talk more about it. Because, you know, this just brings together so many things that I'm... And by the way, that... The TIF angle, I'm going to check and see if it's in a TIF district, because if it is in a TIF district, guarantee you folks, you're not going to get the property tax dollars. They're going to go to the TIF district, and they'll probably use it to spend it on the Thompson Center. you got to keep your eyes open, folks. can't just believe everything that a public official tells you. Young D, you got an update for me? Absolutely, I do. I want to remind everyone one thing. Wait, hold on. What's that? Oh, sorry. The during the last segment on our show, it uh, looks like our nerd meter went off. <laughs> Holy cow. <laughs> These meter readings are through the roof. Man, you guys are nerds. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. <laughs> Whoa, look at that. Uh, the We're nerd meter. <laughs> oh, man. First time we ever activated the nerd meter alarm. Holy cow, that's a first, boys. Yeah. Oh, man. <laughs> History made on the Ben Jarofsky show. Anyway. I set uh, those off everywhere. <laughs> we'd like to remind everyone watching us on Facebook Live, that on Tuesday, we will be going back to YouTube, all right? No more Zuckerberg. Free ride's over, pal. Mm -hmm. We hope that those of you who haven't yet, go subscribe to the Sun-Times YouTube channel. 
and come along with us on Tuesday on YouTube. I'm talking to you, Rosemarie, on the Facebook live chat. We see you there. Join us live on YouTube Tuesday. Who knows what shady news will happen between now and then, uh, but I'm sure we'll be covering it. Shout out to our dear friend Babbers on the Facebook live stream, by the way. He's educating the people on what a Puma is this afternoon. Ben Jarofsky for 10 trivia points. What is a P-U-M-A Puma? Puma, is that an animal? I mean, I think it's, uh, yeah. it's shoes, right? It's their shoes. Yeah. No, but the P-U-M-A stands for something. A plan unit manufacturing association. <laughs> Holy crap. I'm nerdy. <laughs> uh, am I right? No, oh. you're not. So that's pretty good. <laughs> a- I, an- animal, shoe. And nerd meter's going off again with that thing. Just, uh, no, uh, thanks to Babbers, he let us all know. Uh, a Puma. Well, I got I to gotta search for it here. Hang tight. What a... Ben, stall. Okay, I'm yeah. waiting. What Puma means? Uh, Puma animal. I think uh, I think Derek Rose has a Puma contract with the. Okay, issue. done stalling. Party unity, my ass. <laughs> Puma. Okay. Nice. Oh yeah, I uh, folks, I'll be writing about this. Um, this is on my mind ever since. Um, uh, I listened to Howard Stern's Im- uh, interview with Hillary Clinton, which he took a shot at Bernie Sanders. And, uh, yeah, you're right. Uh, who, who wrote that? Party Unity, who wrote that? Good old Babbers. Ba- Babbers, yeah. And Babbers has a point. Um, party Unity apparently only goes one way in my beloved Democratic Party. And uh, Bernie people what, are supposed to shut up and go along. Well, when's it going to work the other way? Uh, this is on my mind. If the, Some of the comments that uh, Hillary Clinton made about uh, Bernie said, Can I get over yeah. the 2016 election, Jacob? Can I it's, get over It's ridiculous. It's just will never end. <laughs> Uh, you would think they would come together and just say, you know what, for the best interest of the Democratic Party and the country, against she, Donald John Trump. She just shouldn't comment. Don't even talk about it. What? It's just what? What? What is? Uh, how is that helping Democrats at all? I I, I don't <laughs> know. I just it keeps that alive. So uh, yes, Babbers, I'm going to be uh, weighing in tonight. Get any more updates, Steve? Before I take once it? again, everybody on Tuesday we're back on YouTube. So make sure to join us if you're watching on Facebook Live. All right. Uh, the last time Jacob Kaplan uh, was on the show was pretty funny. We were talking about this. I can't remember. It was over a month ago, and uh, the show ended. Oh, then Jacob's phone went off and he goes, I got to leave and uh, <laughs> I got to go. Yes. Uh, Arroyo Gate was uh, breaking out and Jacob was executive director of the Cook County Democratic Party. And Louis Arroyo, of course, a former state rep, a Democratic committeeman. I want to say, oh, gosh, I'm going to do this off the top of my head. He was a Democratic committeeman from the 36th war. Correct. Still is, technically. Still is, technically. Uh, so then the issue was, would he remain as committeeman of the Democratic uh uh, excuse me, Democratic Committee of the 36th Ward, even as uh, he stepped down as state rep, in which case he would have a hand in determining his successor. And uh, I guess the assumption we had when the show began, Jacob, is that no, he would not. You got the phone call as uh, it was like every reporter in town was calling you. Yep. I had you in the studio. I, I had breaking. <laughs> I, like, I got to go. And you, <laughs> so it's a month later. Talk about Arroyo Gate. Well, he didn't step down. And uh, so this was the question was, uh, since he resigned as state rep, there were 30 days in which to replace uh, his, uh, you know, state fill a state rep seat. And as committeeman of the 36th Ward, he had a large share of the vote to do that. And uh, he unfortunately did not step down, even though we, party chair Preckwinkle, the entire executive committee called on him to resign. But we unfortunately have no method to eject him from the party. So he those votes were cast ultimately uh, for the candidate that. uh, that he wanted. And, uh, you know, he wasn't there in person, but he gave a proxy to uh, 
committeeman Ariel Arboris, mm-hmm. and those votes were cast for uh, candidate Eva Dina Delgado. And uh, you know, after that happened, the uh, the speaker came out and the governor came out and said that uh, this candidate shouldn't be seated by the House. Uh, as far as I know, when the House reconvenes in January, there's probably going to be a hearing held, and she may be ejected from the House. So I, the whole process is just you know, it's it's it, it's pretty uh, distasteful, and uh, just I you know. I don't understand why Louis thought it was a good idea to go. Well, I'm not going to speculate on why Louis decided this. Obviously, he's got other issues right now. But in any event, it made everybody look bad, including the party. Even though we called for him to resign, our hands were tied on the matter. And Robreus, he w- it couldn't have happened without uh, Robreus joining in. I mean, again, it's a weighted vote, and uh, Arroyo didn't have enough uh, votes on his own to determine a successor. Uh, and uh, so he needed a, uh, a confederate, if you will, a partner, if you will. And uh, so Ariel Raboyas joined in. Uh, it gives me a lot of stuff to talk about and laugh and roll my eyes, but it just does make the, my beloved Democratic Party look bad. It does. Um, you know, and... Uh, <laughs> you know, even, yeah. uh, I want to point out, even Proco Joe Moreno's votes were, uh, were cast. Proco Joe Moreno. Now he was the, he's still the committeeman of, of the first ward. Of the first ward. I, I, by the way, and we're going to talk about committeeman. Is he running for re-election? No, he's not. Okay, but he gave his proxy for his votes to Iris Martinez, <laughs> so she voted. State Senator Iris Martinez was in the meeting and voted for. Uh, this candidate as well. Okay. So. Well, Proco Joe weighs in. <laughs> yes. Uh, funny. He gave a Rage Against the Machine album to Ben. Yeah, yeah there you go. <laughs> he came on to my show. He loves the 90s. Proco Joe Moreno loves the 90s the way I love the 70s. And he gave me a Rage Against. Was it the Alp? No. He gave me, uh-uh, negatory. He gave me um, uh, a, a Rolling Stone magazine with Nirvana on the cover. Oh, I thought yeah. he gave you a record. Uh, maybe he did that too. I don't know. Uh, <laughs> uh, the things up. our host never remembers. <laughs> uh, yeah, you know I'm old, man. Um, all right, uh, so let's get into some of the committeeman races, uh, some of the more noteworthy ones, uh, since it's relevant. Again, uh, Jacob, explain what the committeeman position is and its importance and significance uh, in Chicago Cook County politics. Sure. So, and actually, we the name was changed, so now it's technically Democratic Committee Person. We uh, helped pass legislation a year ago to make it gender neutral. Mm-hmm. Um, but essentially, the committee person is the Democratic leader of their ward or township. So, all 50 wards in the city of Chicago and all 30 uh, townships in suburban Cook County elect a Democratic Committee Person. And the job of that person is to help turn out Democratic voters in their ward, be the head of the Democratic Party, uh, vote at slate making when we get together to endorse candidates. Uh, vote when there are vacancies in office for state representative, state senator, and some other offices, and generally be the head of the Democrats in that area. Historically, they were very, very powerful positions. Of, uh, you know, when this was the quote-unquote uh, Democratic machine, as some people still love to call it, but you know, back in the 60s and 70s under Richard J. Daley, they had all the control over the patronage jobs in the uh, in the area. That's not the case anymore, but they're still positions that people like to hold, and they're very, very down-ballot positions. Literally, in the Democratic primary coming up, this will be the last thing you see on the ballot. After all the judges, all the state reps and senators, then you get the Democratic committee person at the very bottom. Mm -hmm. And it it may be at the bottom of the ballot, but as we see, they have a significant role to play uh, in things like, particularly, vacancies. So in this case, where Louis Arroyo stepped down as state rep, the rules of the game are such that the committeemen convene, or the committee people persons convene, excuse me, and uh, decide on a replacement. Now, let's just talk about that for briefly. How valuable is that designation as a replacement? There, We are, as I speak, we're early December. Uh, people have just filed to run for a March primary. 
So uh, the replacement that uh, Proco Joe Moreno and uh, Louis Arroyo and Ariel Arroyas decided uh, to replace Arroyas with, I mean, excuse me, uh, Arroyo with, will only be a quote-unquote incumbent for two months before the March 20th. So how valuable is that designation? Well, in, in that case, I don't think it's valuable at all. I think it's toxic. I think considering the fact that Arroyo's votes were cast, I don't... I don't see why anybody would want to be appointed, especially because they're likely to get kicked out of the House. And how are you going to run for office saying I was the one expelled from the House of Representatives? So I don't think in that case it's valuable. Historically, it is valuable. It gives you a bit of a leg up. You know, you're the incumbent, so you can say I'm the state representative, I'm the state senator when you go door to door, uh, which has led some people to say that, you know, these are insider deals and we should switch to special elections for legislative seats. But the cost for special elections and the fact that you maybe get 15 percent turnout if, if, if we went to that system, I'm not sure that's a great system either. So this is what the uh, what has come up with and how things have been done since the uh, 1970 Illinois Constitution. Yeah. All right. So uh, committee, committee person's a valuable position. Uh, what are some of the more uh, unique races that we have to look forward to, some of the bigger battles coming up uh, in the March primary? Well, there's the, uh, the one that goes on every single uh, cycle. This will, I think, be the third time. Uh, that's in the 12th Ward, where Alderman Cardenas is uh, running against uh, the incumbent committeeman, State Senator Tony Munoz, for another rematch. Wow. Uh, Munoz uh, keeps beating him, but he keeps coming back for more. So that's a, uh, that, that'll be another epic battle. Uh, another uh, race that, uh, that is pending is in the 1st Ward. That's an open seat uh, because Proco Joe Moreno, as you said, is, is not running again. So there you've got uh, several candidates. You've got the new Alderman Daniel Laspada running. You've got the candidate backed by Proco Joe in the first ward organization, Jay Ramirez. And then you've got uh, another candidate, Andy, do you remember I, her name? I can't remember her name. But, yes, you've got uh, another. She, she just kind of came out of nowhere from what I can tell. Yes, yeah, so you've got three candidates in that race, which is wide open. Mm-hmm. Now, historically, uh, what's happened is when a new alderman wins uh, and they run for committeeman, they almost always win that, too, because they're brand new. They have the name ID and all that. So I would, my bet would be on Laspada winning that race. But. Anything's possible. Hey, uh, Joe Moreno still had, what, half a million dollars in his campaign fund? He could throw all that behind Jay Ramirez to grab this spot. Has it ever happened, and this is a total uh, geekdom, (laughs) has it ever happened that an alderman was defeated in an election for committee person? Uh, it's happened. That meter's going off again. <laughs> oh, my God. Uh, so, so one of the interesting ones that happened is, is a incumbent alderman being kicked off the ballot for yeah. committeemen uh, in the 35th Ward. Ray Colon was kicked oh, off the ballot correct. for committeemen. What a, I forgot yeah. that. Ray Colon. Yeah, and then he lost his race for alderman in the next, yeah. in the next cycle. So I don't, it's never a good sign if you get kicked off the ballot no. as an incumbent. <laughs> yeah, particularly yeah. if you're a party position. Yes. You're supposed to have mastered uh, the rules and the regulations governing ballot access. Yeah, and actually last time around, Proco Joe Moreno came within a couple hundred votes of losing uh, for committee members. Oh, yeah, that's right, to, uh, Maria yeah, Teresa, to Maria, Maria uh, Teresa Gonzalez. Gonzalez. Yeah. yeah. So I don't know of a case where an incumbent alderman has outright been beat. It's probably happened, but it's very, very rare. And it's, so. What would be rare, to your point, is when you have a newly elected alderman and that person comes in with oh, some momentum. I recall uh, Sue Sadlowski-Garza, for instance, in the 10th Ward. She got elected, really hard-fought battle, beat John Pope in 2015, I want to say it was. It was for, they were counting ballots forever, and she was finally eked out this very uh, slender win, uh, Jacob. And then, boom, next year, she just 
ran for committeeman yep. and just clobbered whoever. I don't even know yeah. if Pope ran for re-election. I think they put somebody else he up. He put somebody but... up, and she clobbered him. And it's just a, a consolidation of power. People get used to a certain name. Oh, you know, Sue Savosky Garza, she's doing a good job. I'll vote for her for committeeman. Yeah. Our committee person, yeah. Exactly. You know, I, I want to mention, though, from from just the, the plain old regular voter standpoint, uh, these filling of the vacancies, obviously the, the political class certainly thinks it's valuable because I, I, I read there was a Sun-Times or Tribune article that uh, put out there that uh, certainly more than half of the current state legislators were originally appointed to their positions. And I think that it, it's not so much about the cost or anything. It, it's th- that it does have a chilling effect, right? When you when you put somebody in that's that's an, that's now an incumbent, even though they were never elected and they were never they never put their name on the ballot, they never had to go door to door. You put that name out there as the incumbent. All of a sudden, people that might pop up and go, oh, I'll take a stab at this. They go, ah, it's, it's just not worth it. Well, now let's talk about that. A lot of people running. Uh, which, which which district is it? The uh, Royals district? Third what, district. Um, third district. Let's just take a look at the third district. So I'm going to count right now how many candidates filed. One, two, three, four candidates running, all as Democrats. Uh, Eva Adina Delgado is, quote unquote, the incumbent. Again, she was uh, voted in by the committee persons of committee people. Uh, but it's Madigan. Speaker Madigan says he's going to challenge her and keep her from being seated. So we'll see how that plays out. Uh, well, and that's a special case, right? I mean, Jacob, to Jacob's point, that one is one where the votes that put uh, her into into office uh, were, were toxic or viewed as toxic. So I think that the people coming up behind her are going, well, this is not this is not an incumbency that's helpful to her. It's going to hurt her. Well, um, and now one of the arguments, uh, Jacob, that you made in the past, uh, you and Danny Pogoshelsky, is that uh, in the last few years, we've seen sort of this alignment uh, between progressives and old school machine style. I put machine in quotes because I think everybody's every as soon as somebody gets elected, you're in the machine, folks. That's what everybody uh, but whatever. Uh, machine is a word that gets tossed around a lot. Uh, sort of come together in certain races running against ROM type candidates. Uh, so. Are we seeing in any of these races anything resembling like a battle between the Hillary and Bernie forces uh, on a local level? Is that being played out in any in any of these races? I, I think it's too early to say who's who's with who uh, presidential candidate wise and whether it's going to play into committeeman races because they're kind of obscure. I mean, one of the interesting ones, maybe where it will, is in the 40th ward. That's where uh, Pat O'Connor is not running again for committeeman. So the new alderman, Andrew Vaz- Vazquez, is running. He's uh, a Bernie delegate or Bernie supporter, I think think he's a delegate. If not, uh, he's definitely a strong Bernie supporter. And then you've got Maggie O'Keefe, who uh, ran for alderman last time around and and lost, uh, but got a lot of votes. She's running for committeeman as well, and I'm not sure who she's supporting for president, but that's a ward where I could see the presidential race playing a a key role, you know, depending on uh, where things line up. But in general, I don't think that... uh, presidential races really uh, impact committee races too much, at least not not in my experience. So in other words, well, I wasn't even specifically talking about this presidential race. I was talking more generically about this is like the divide between the progressive the versus, progressives versus centrist divide, which is alive in this presidential race. Uh, Hillary Clinton's name's not on a ballot, but you could talk about it in terms of Joe Biden slash Mayor Pete slash Amy Klobuchar versus Bernie and Elizabeth. I mean, that, those, that's kind of the general divide. So 
are we seeing that kind of general divide in the Democratic Party? I don't think so. And I, again, I think most of the uh, committeeman races that are uh, appearing this time are more like personal, just I don't like you, so I'm going to run against you type of situations. I don't think there's so much ideological, at least that I've seen. Okay. All right. Uh, so let's uh, let's talk about some of the other races that people really worth noting uh, in, in that are coming up in the March primary. And what legislative races do you really think people should be paying attention to? Well, certainly the third district is going to be very interesting. I think you're also going to see an interesting race. I believe it's the so the 12th district. It's the it's well, that's the Sarah Feigenhold seat. Yes, uh, on, that's the, gonna, on the lakefront. Yeah, that's going to be very interesting because there you have, uh, of course, Senate President Cullerton is retiring. So the assumption is that uh, State Representative Feigenholz is going to get appointed to his seat, and then that leaves her state representative seat wide open. And this is uh, the district that represents Lincoln Park and Lakeview, and is a very, very uh, in- a lot of very engaged uh, political uh, activists in that area. So that's there's a lot of people running for that seat. That's definitely going to be one to watch. All right, let's talk about uh, if if the Bernie Hillary uh, schism isn't there, there is of course uh, the remnants of last. What was it? Uh, last uh, April's mayoral election, Lori Lightfoot is the mayor. Tony Preckwinkle, of course, is the chair of the Democratic Party. Your boss uh, is in charge of the Democratic Party, or is the chair of the Democratic Party? Are any people who are running uh, running in terms of that divide? Like I'm a Lori candidate, or I'm a Tony candidate, or is that not uh, at play in this election? I'm not seeing that so much, at least not yet. Uh, you know, and I think. Lori and Tony are going to be on the same page as the things like, for instance, Kim Fox. You know, they're they're both endorsed Kim Fox and are, are heavily supporting her, and and so are a lot of the other elected officials like Dick Durbin. So I think you're. I, I'm not sure that you're going to see a Lori Tony divide in, uh, in 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 any of the races coming up. At least not that I've seen. All right. Uh, but by the way, Kim Fox. I I think I said the last time we were in the show, put your money in Vegas. No way she's losing this election. I, I, I hope, put that I hope you're right, Ben. Uh, I just, I, just <laughs> no way. Yeah, and 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 this gets into a a, a larger issue. You don't think Bob Fioretti's going to give her a run oh, for Bob money? Fioretti. Come on, <laughs> Bob, Bob Fioretti, uh, my old friend, and I say that you know uh, before who was it the 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 uh, the follow, Facebook follower who was asking me about Nick Spazzato? Ricky, Ricky, and uh, Ricky, the same thing goes Spazzato's Fioretti. I have dealt with these guys when they were aldermen. And uh, I've said this before, Bob Fioretti was very helpful to me in some of the TIFF stories I did. So I have this, a plus Bob Fioretti, and it's a long, complicated story. He helped me get an autograph from Bobby Hull, the great Blackhawk, the Golden Jet. But that's a whole other story. <laughs> so you're but, voting for him for that reason, right? Do you have anything to do with uh, Jay Doherty? No, 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 George, Jay Doherty. I'm not, I, I will... I, can almost guarantee I would not be voting uh, for Bob Fioretti for state's attorney. Uh, but I do appreciate the role he played in all these stories they did and the fact that he was willing to stand up to Mayor Rahm and Mayor Daly at a certain point. So I'm not going to throw people under the bus, Jacob. That's just not how I operate, you know, just instinctively. Uh, but that said, Bob Fioretti, <laughs> Bob, what are you doing? I think he wants to run for every office that's ever existed in Cook County or the state of Illinois. I'm, I'm under, I mean, come on. I mean, he's run for mayor two times state senate uh uh he ran for county board president i mean he's literally trying to run for every office possible maybe I, he's I collecting know. them i it seems like it maybe yeah. he wants to, to make a record you know and well the guy likes running <laughs> yeah. 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 he likes running yeah. yeah but i i just i just can't see and this gets to the larger story jacob that mayor pete has seems to be incapable of understanding that black people get to vote and, uh, you know, I... You would so think, you don't think 0% in South Carolina is going to help him no, much? No, no. Mayor Pete, you're talking about, no. <laughs> yes. And so, um, yeah. so all, when, when uh, Smollett-Gate erupted, uh, many Democrats saw Kim Fox as vulnerable. 
and just the nature of Smolletgate and how it's played out with Donald Trump championing uh, the fight against uh, uh, Kim Fox, with the Fraternal Order of Police championing the case against Kim Fox, uh, with the fact that Kim Fox has stood up uh, for alternative sentencing. She's a black woman. I mean, it's just the nature of politics in Cook County and Chicago. Immediately I knew she would be widely supported throughout the black community. He would see the obvious case of double standards have been applied here where everybody's hard on her, but they were easy on Anita Alvarez when it came to prosecuting Daly's nephew. And it's playing out that way. You got all these white guys running against her. Uh, Including a billionaire. Yeah. Which billionaire? Conway. Oh, Conway, Conway is the son of a billionaire. <laughs> well, son of, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, and it's a transitive property. Yeah. Yes. So it's like, don't these people ever learn? You don't understand that you cannot win a Democratic primary without black votes. It just seems like <laughs> I'm going to prove even Bob Fioretti, my beloved Bob Fioretti is right. I'm going to run with the police support. That's not going to get you elected in Cook County. I think you're right, and I do think Kim's going to win. So I know, but it's uh, it's not going to be an easy race for her. I mean, there's a, there's you know this Millet thing has blown up and. You know, unfortunately, that's become the media just loves going after her on, on things like I'm that. I'm guilty so. in that one. I'm, I've been all over. I stand accused. I'm guilty. I've spent a lot of time talking about Smollett Gate. But Andy, I'd be curious, just as a neighborhood resident in Logan Square, what do you hear on the state's attorney's race? Uh, you know, Logan Square, particularly lately, is famously progressive, right? It's 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 progressive to the extent that when you guys were talking about the, the, the presidential divide, I was like, wait a second, Joe Biden, he's still running? Because I, I haven't heard <laughs> anybody say anything good about him. But uh, I, I think think that uh, well with the exception of our host <laughs> but uh no yeah, I, I think that in, in truth i think that the smollett gate thing that the unlike uh the way that uh, the the ed burke story right you could harp on that ed burke story for for months and months and months and it did enormous amounts of damage to like tony preckwinkle for example i, I don't think smollett gate is it, i don't think it rises to that level i think that the the sort of hollywood angle made it very sort of tiring, mm-hmm. right? Unlike unlike Ed Burke, where everyone's like, oh yeah, I know my alderman, and the whole city's so corrupt, and this is terrible, and then there's this actor, right? Some actor that perhaps three quarters of the people haven't heard of who did something, I, you know, who the heck knows? Uh, that's not gonna impact. Well, I'll give you the, the, the player who's uh, turning Smollett Gate into an advantage uh, for Kim Fox, his name is Donald Trump. Donald Trump yep. Yep. Uh, uses bashes Kim Fox with Smollett Gate. In the Ed Burke case, Ed Burke represented Donald Trump. So <laughs> yep. the, very, the most unpopular politician in the city of Chicago is Donald Trump. Ed Burke was his property tax lawyer. That's how arrogant Ed Burke was. <laughs> yep. oh, I just keep getting elected representing the guy that his Hispanics. Blacks, progressives, all cannot stand. I won't say hate. Hear that, Romana? I cannot stand. <laughs> that was another discussion. So I just, that, to me, that's the fact that Donald Trump has weighed in. It'll, it's helpful and useful to Donald Trump, you know, because it helps rally his base. But it's certainly not helping the Republican Party get ele- get a state's attorney elected in Cook County if Donald Trump is weighing in on behalf no, and I don't think the, I don't think the Republicans can win another countywide election. I mean, when I just I don't see it happening anytime in the near future, anyway. So I'm not worried about. I know there's a couple of Republicans challenging Kim, but I don't see that being uh, an issue. I should also mention we, we, when we were talking about committee people, committee person races. Uh, Ed Burke has two challengers, and is he's running again for committeeman, and he has right. two challengers. So that's going to be an interesting Ed race to watch. Ed Burke running again for committeeman. Yep. yep. Wow. We asked him to resign, but he's running again. 
So, <laughs> what, so that, that's interesting. Yeah. No, no, but I'm interested. What's so? What's going to happen? What's what do you read the tea leaves? What where's that going? I don't know. I mean, so initially, Aaron Ortiz, who's the new uh, state rep in that area, who beat uh, uh, Ed Burke's brother Dan Burke yeah. uh, for state representative, is running, and then all of a sudden, a, a uh, Latina is running as well. So, and purportedly, she has some ties to Burke himself. So, I think he's trying to split the uh, <laughs> the uh, Latino uh, vote in the yeah. in the classic Chicago way. I yeah. don't know if it's going to work or not. Uh, it's you know, obviously, he was still able to win re-election for Alderman handily. So, I I don't know what's going to happen here though. This is a Democratic primary, different turnout, so who knows? Uh, now, what are the uh, access rules to get on the ballot to, for committeemen? How many uh, signatures do you need to your... It depends per ward. Funnily enough, in a lot of wards, it's more than aldermen. Uh, so in, in some wards this time around, it was as many as 1,200 signatures. Uh, <laughs> but 14th Ward is a lesser turnout ward, so it was probably somewhere around 500, if I had to guess. Okay, so my my s- suggestion to everybody who's curious about this race, and I'll do it, look and see who challenges who. Then you'll have an indication of who's supported by Ed Burke, who's not supported by Ed Burke. Uh, so that's I'll just yep. put that challenges out will be filed on Monday. So challenges will be filed on. So what is the percentage? Just so I know, what percentage is, is it? A percentage of the, the turnout in the last election? Yeah, it's a percentage of the turnout in 2018, uh, and I'm not sure what the percentage is, but that's how it's based. It's based on the percentage of Democrats that turned out in the last gotcha. election. Okay. All right. Let's move on to impeachment, and I'll throw the question I've been throwing to absolutely everyone, uh, and I'm looking forward to having this conversation um, uh, next week. Uh, at greater length, uh, but um, with Marge Halpern, who's going to be in the studio doing a bonus interview, she's doing a lot of work in the surrounding states uh, it, it, to try to get like Michigan to go from uh, Republican to Democrat in, in, uh, in the presidential race. The issue of impeachment purely from a political standpoint, Jacob Kaplan, let's put aside from a legal standpoint, let's put aside the case against Donald John Trump uh, and, and the fact that he's... Tr- wants to be the emperor, not the president. Let's put that aside. Political. There's a lot of consternation on part of Democrats. Some of them saying, I don't know if this is going to help us in Wisconsin or Michigan or Pennsylvania. It's going to work against us. It's going to make Donald Trump a sympathetic character. Uh, Nancy Pelosi herself was very slow to join uh, the bandwagon for uh, impeachment. Uh, she Obviously, she's in big time now. Uh, what's your general sense as a party animal, how this uh, affects the Democrats? I mean, I think it's something we, uh, I think it'll be a positive for us. I really do. Uh, I know that, uh, funnily enough, I don't know if you saw this on Twitter yesterday, Trump's 2020 campaign manager uh, tweeted out this uh, poll from a congressional race in Oklahoma, one of the seats the Democrats had won in 2018, I believe it was Oklahoma, and uh, saying, see, look, this poll shows that uh, Democrats are, you know, impeachment gate is uh, is tanking them and, and they're, and they're not going to win. But this poll had had uh, impeachment in that congressional district, I believe 45 percent of people thought Trump should be impeached. So if that's the argument the, the Republicans are going to make that in, the, in a district that's pretty conservative, that still that many people think the president should be impeached. I'm all for it. I mean, I think that I think it's a a must, you know, morally. But I also think that it will help us and 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 uh, it. You know, I think that if we didn't do it also, I think that a lot of Democrats would be seriously deflated and a lot of the activist base would honestly disappear. So I think it's a must on that account, too, just for the Democratic base. But I don't think it's going to hurt us that much in even in swing congressional districts in the Midwest. I, I don't really see that happening here. I could be wrong. Uh, so the, I didn't see that tweet. I'm going to go back and look at it. That poll, 45 percent favored impeachment. What was the, what, do you remember what the rest of the, the poll was? 
I don't remember what the horse race was in the congressional race. No, no, what I'm saying was it like yeah. 55 were against impeachment or was it more one of those things split? 20% didn't know what they were thinking. Uh, 10% had no opinion whatsoever, that kind of thing, or you don't remember? I don't remember, but uh, I see. whatever it was, it was being roundly made fun of in Democratic circles just because it's like, why would you release this? <laughs> it's not a good not a good look for uh, for the Republicans. All right, well, so. then I'll, I'll put this question to you, and Andrew, you can weigh in as well after uh, Jacob weighs in, and this is uh, the David Ferris point. David Ferris, a political scientist, comes in the show all the time. I I think he's one of the smartest uh, political minds around in the city of Chicago, and he has always argued that Democrats should should play the game of politics the way Republicans do. Hardball. None of this namby-pamby of Barack Obama. When they go low, we go high. Oh, there's bipartisan. Yeah, Joe Biden, I'm talking to you. Because <laughs> uh, there's no such thing as a bipartisan Republican. It hasn't been uh, in the last 10 years. Let's be honest. Uh, Democrats stop being suckers and saps. And um, so uh, David Ferris's argument, which he's made in the show many times, is that Democrats should carry out this impeachment fight throughout the entire calendar year 2020, even if it does not if get to a vote in the Senate, even if it gets tied up in contentious lawsuits that uh, Donald Trump files to keep the Democrats from having access to his aides and documents, et cetera, even though each one of these cases goes to the Supreme Court, drags things out. David Ferris's argument is we should continue this fight because it just makes Donald Trump and the crimes of Donald Trump the centerpiece of the 2020 election battle. Uh, I wholeheartedly support him in that. Uh, not everybody agrees with me, Jacob Kaplan, believe it or not. There are some Democrats that say, Ben, you don't even know what you're talking about. This is going to work to the Republicans' advantage. Let's get this over with fast. What's your opinion? I tend to uh, disagree with you, actually. Go ahead. I, I do think uh, I think it's important to uh, to get it done with some expediency, even if it means that not everything is included in in uh, you know in, in the articles of impeachment because certain people won't testify or, or what have you. I I don't think it's a good idea to string it out forever through 2020. And then I, I do think that opens up Democrats the argument that, oh, they're just trying to do this for totally political reasons. And I, I don't know. I think I think it's good to get it over to the Senate because I think, number one, Trump is going to implode when he's impeached. I think that despite the fact that he says that he doesn't <laughs> care if he's impeached or not, I think that uh, when this happens, I, I think he may do, may do something crazy. And I also think when, when people are actually testifying under oath in the Senate trial, I think some interesting things may come out of that uh, that are maybe even more explosive than we've seen so far. So I think it's important to get this article's impeachment done, voted on, and get it over to the Senate for, for the trial. But I could be wrong. All right, Andrew Schneider, you're the deciding vote. Do you agree <laughs> with me or do you agree with Jacob Kaplan? Don't buckle under pressure. <laughs> I, I, uh, oh, God, I, oh, no. uh, no, <laughs> I, uh, I, I, can I take a middle ground? Is that possible? Go ahead. No, no I, I think that, no, I think that, uh, the problem with, I think that everybody's sort of looking, there's no question it's a political process, completely political process. Yeah. Um, and so the question is, you're, no matter what, whether the Democrats are fast or whether they drag it out, they're going to be subject to, this is just a political witch hunt. It's just a witch hunt. Um, I think I, I would... If I was forced to make a decision, I would I would go with Jacob and say the thing to do is to move it with some speed to the Senate, uh, and largely because I think I don't think that he's going to be thrown out of office, um, but I do think that the 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 Democrats the, the problem I have with the way they're approaching it is I, I think they're all sort of weighing in their hearts and heads uh, the leadership anyway is that Trump is a very useful 
enemy, right? I had somebody, I was having a fight in our neighborhood group and a uh, guy, guy asked me out to coffee and I, I went and met with him. But uh, Bruce, good old Bruce, my neighbor said, look, don't be too friendly with him. He's a really useful, like cartoonish enemy. You need that guy, right? And I think that, I think that that's a part of the democratic calculation for the next presidential cycle is just, look, we have this cartoonish villain as president, right? Yeah. I mean, how can we get a better now, they, that's the same calculation that Hillary Clinton made in 2016 to, to, to all of our sorrow. No, I, I, and this is where I'll disagree with it, because I've been thinking a lot about Hillary Clinton ever since I listened to the Howard Stern interview. And uh, it, there's this underlying assumption that was so profound in 2016. Uh, and I guess it's more Michelle Obama saying when uh, they go uh, low, we go high, that the Democrats were above Donald Trump. And I never felt as though Hillary directly engaged Donald Trump. Maybe I'm, my memory is faulty, but the one that's things that sticks out of my mind, uh, Jacob is when the debate happened and it was that, um, it, Donald Trump was walking behind Hillary Clinton and he was just breaking all the rules of civility that are supposed to occur in a debate, disrespecting the other, her opponent, like literally invading her space and she ignored him. She had to know about his presence behind her and he ignored. And I always felt that the Democrats in 2016 um, either try to dismiss him as a, a, a funny caricature, didn't take him seriously, didn't get down in the mud with him, we're above all that. And I feel as though that is a lesson that they should learn that that's not how you deal with Donald Trump. I don't know. Is that your memory of the, the race as well? I think so. I, I, I think we didn't take him seriously enough. Democrats didn't take him seriously enough early on, that's for sure. But no, neither did Republicans. Yeah. So I, I think that's certainly the case. I mean, in terms of Hillary not engaging him, I mean, maybe that's true. But, I, you know, certainly I just, just my mind goes back to the debates. And I think she, you know, everyone would agree she won those handily. But uh, maybe there should have been more. I don't know. That's just not that wasn't Hillary's character regardless. And that's one of the reasons I'm I'm worried about Biden, I know you're you like Uncle Joe, and I, if Uncle Joe's the nominee, I'll happily vote for him and support him. But I'm worried that if he's the nominee, he's not gonna really. He's gonna try to play that same tack that Hillary did, and, and not really take it to Trump and and try to treat this like a conventional campaign where it's like I'm the normal guy and he's crazy. Yeah. But you can't really run that way. Uh, allow me just to clarify my position on <laughs> Uncle Joe. Uh, just to be uh, ideologically, Uncle Joe is to the right of where I am. I just don't have the disdain that some of my uh, younger friends and guests who come on the show have for Uncle Joe. I don't know why. It's, I probably need psychological help on this issue. Uh, but uh, the, some of the stuff he does, I don't know, in a weird way. Like the thing when he nibbled on his wife's finger. It's just like, <laughs> oh, you like that, huh? I, it's just kind of like, Big fan. wow. He's just <laughs> a weird guy, you know? I mean, uh, I don't know. Anyway, I do have a weird thing for Uncle Joe. Uh, did you want to say yeah, something? Yeah, you know, I just, I just wanted to add while we're talking through... The, I think that one of the things that Democrats didn't, didn't understand, and I think that this is something that's true broadly of the political class, whether that's here in Chicago or Washington, D.C., is that a good chunk of America has been struggling financially and otherwise for decades, right? decades. And so when you have people like Hillary going, well, things are objectively better. Like, look at, the, look at all these numbers. I got a chart. They're better. And, and a good chunk of America, you're, you're not speaking to their experience, right? They're, they're saying, hey, we've all been cheated, right? We're all being cheated. Yeah. Everybody's taking advantage of us. And you have Donald Trump going, oh, yes, by the way, uh, did you know that Jacob Kaplan's uncle's brother's fifth cousin participated in the uh, JFK assassination? Everyone goes, aha, I yeah. knew it. Yeah. I knew it all along. Yeah. And I think that that's a big 
part of this problem is people are primed to believe the absolute worst about what happens in Washington and, and downtown Chicago. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, well, I know I'm pretty much primed to believe <laughs> that the absolute worst what happens in downtown Chicago. Uh, all right, let's uh, call. That way, you have an update Before for me. We roll out of here. First off, I knew that about your relative. But oh boy, sorry, I knew <laughs> that. That's kept secret. I knew that. Uh, well, first off, Donald Trump needs to weigh in here. No collusion. Oh, thanks. No collusion. <laughs> of course. Yeah, that's what he said. All right. Uh, three things before we get out of here. First off, uh, right now, post it on, uh, well, it will be on the Ben Jarofsky Show Facebook page very shortly, but it is at chicagoreader.com. It's the latest Chicago Reader column from our very own Ben Jarofsky. Ben, why don't you tell us a little bit about it? It's about Harold Washington. Oh, my God. You'll love this, Jacob. Uh, well, it's actually, uh, I wrote this around Thanksgiving. And um, I was just feeling so much, uh, I guess, nostalgia for Harold Washington because he died, uh, I think, the day or two days before Thanksgiving in 1987. Uh, but uh, what, what got me thinking, I've said this already in the show once today, is that uh, people tend to view Harold Washington uh, as in the terms of the racial conflict in Chicago politics. And they don't look at... Uh, the larger ideology of Harold Washington, and he was very much a leftist, and yep. uh, he very much and I the comparison I said he was Bernie Sanders before Bernie Sanders, and um, you know he was opposed by all the white aldermen and the and the white committeemen in the city of Chicago and Cook County, and so uh, he became uh, an icon in um, black liberation politics. Uh, and black empowerment, et cetera, and so forth, a very important icon, but lost track of the fact that ideologically he was a New Deal Democrat, leftist, Bernie guy before Bernie. And I feel as though, I just was thinking about that, There, we've lost that connection between black political empowerment and uh, lefty politics to a large degree uh, in Chicago these days. And so I, that was just some reflections I had on Harold Washington and the role he played. And that story, I happen to say, a lot of people, uh, were, were, they weighed in on it, and were uh, they, well, the, you know, like a lot of people agree with me. I didn't get it. Usually, I get people weighing in. Oh, you don't know what you're talking about, but uh, not so much in this case. Anyway, that's what I was thinking about. Do you, do you, you're a Harold Washington expert. I know you weren't alive when he was around, but you've studied. Two years him. old. You were two years old. Okay, sorry. <laughs> two years. Yeah. Uh, but do you, do you understand what I'm saying? No, I totally about? agree. And I, I think that's the part of his, you know, so many people, as you said, want to view it as just a black versus white, uh, you know, period where there was all this infighting and, 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 and racial, you know, uh, differences. But I think he really was one of the most, the most progressive mayor we had, certainly probably in the city's history. History. History and, of and Chicago. That's, and people gloss over that again and again. I mean, he, with his neighborhood's agenda and with everything he did with... Uh, I mean, just you name it. He was he was more progressive than any mayor we've ever seen. So I think that doesn't get enough attention. So I'm glad you wrote that article. Yeah, no, I wrote that. And, and just to tie him to, uh, uh, like, for lack of a better term, the, the Bernie Sanders wing of the Democratic Party. All my Elizabeth Warren uh, fan, uh, listeners go, Ben, what about Elizabeth Warren? So go check out that article. Yeah. It's Ben's latest, Washington's Lessons, it's called. Just search for Ben Jarofsky, Chicago Reader, on Google, and you'll find it. Let us know what you think, by the way, on the Ben Jarofsky Show Facebook page. All right, also, three bonus interviews will be available for you to download over the weekend. Uh, we're talking all things Donald Trump with Jim Coogan. Yep. 
lawyer Jim Coogan were breaking down the, all the, the legal uh, aspects of the impeachment. Again, take a deep dive. Uh, talk about the, the, the nerd meter going off, but Jim Coogan knows his stuff, and we really uh, take the deep dive, a lot of the legal implications. And we also do some uh, William Barr talk. Uh, Jim Coogan's excellent when he uh, breaks down what Attorney General William Barr's. And, and who are the other two bonuses? Uh, well, we, uh, we haven't done the third one yet. Patrick Whalen will be coming in. Uh, and uh, Flint Taylor. This is a fascinating story. Flint Taylor is a lawyer. Uh, he was the lawyer for the estate of uh, uh, Fred Hampton, the Black Panther leader who was killed 50 years ago. Good God, am I getting old? I was, I was around when that happened. And uh, Flint Taylor does a great job of breaking down the story uh, behind the lawsuit that eventually led uh, to a settlement for Fred Hampton's family. Man, I'll tell you what, folks. Just the lying and the deceit and um, that was at play uh, between the, the the leaders of Chicago, Mayor Richard J. Daley, State's Attorney Edward Hanrahan, the FBI of J. Edgar Hoover, President Richard Nixon. Uh, it's a compelling story. So, Flint Taylor, I think we're going to drop that one tomorrow, Dean. And finally, we're back on YouTube starting Tuesday. Just want to remind everybody, if you're checking this out on Facebook Live, you should join us on Tuesday at the Chicago Sun-Times YouTube channel. Subscribe to that channel now, and on Tuesday, you'll get the alert. And Ben and I's beautiful faces for radio will be joining you on YouTube. So we're back on YouTube on Tuesday. All right, very good. Uh, thank you, Andrew Schneider. Thank you, Jacob Kaplan. Thank you, Ramon Hussein, early in the show. And, of course, the man, the myth, the legend, the pride of joy of Alton, Illinois. And as Andrew Schneider knows, back home in Alton, they call Dr. D White Lightning. Give yourself a raise. Take it out of petty cash. See you Tuesday, everybody. Hey, and remember, you can download previous Ben Jarofsky shows and those Benny J. Bonus interviews I was talking about at both Chicago Sun-Times and Chicago Reader websites, chicago.suntimes.com, chicagoreader.com, and wherever else you download your favorite podcasts. Downloaders, we live stream this program, and I know I just said it, but we will be back on YouTube on Tuesday. Once again, Chicago Sun-Times YouTube channel. Go check it out. Enjoy those bonus interviews. We'll see you Tuesday.